Good evening, everyone. Great to see you. You know, sometimes when you, uh, when I preach, it feels like there's something important that needs to be said tonight, and tonight feels like one of those nights. And so I ask that you would uh, pray for me, that you would pray for this community, those who are online, that we would be able to hear uh, the good news and be able to hear the word that sets us free. This is what we're looking at tonight. We are going through a series called Abide, and Abide simply means to rest or live in Jesus and his word. And so we're looking at what that means, how to unpack that. And uh, today we're looking at the word that frees us. So how does God's word and how does Jesus free us? What does that mean? Well, we'll be looking at that tonight. And the text that we have today is John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. <clears throat> Here's what it says. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus, Jesus said, I hold if you hold, or it's the same word as abide. So this is what the, this passage is talking about. If you hold or abide to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know or experience the truth. This is not a knowing that's merely intellectual. It's then you're actually going to experience the truth, and the truth will set you free. I don't, there's uh, universities that have this as their banner, that the truth will set you free. And it's not simply uh, some kind of intellectual understanding it's something far more profound and intimate and real. It's uh, encountering Jesus through his word. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. Well, first of all, that's a lie. Uh, they've been slaves to all kinds of people. But they go, no, no, no. Why would you say that we're, we're not free? We've never been enslaved to anybody. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family. A slave can be bought and sold at any time. Uh, their security where in the family that they belong to is purely based on their performance. It's not a stable uh, relationship. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And then he speaks of himself. So if the son sets you free... If the sun sets you free from slavery, you will be free indeed. So we're going to ask two questions tonight. What is slavery and what is freedom? First of all, what is slavery? Now, when they heard Jesus talk about this freedom, they immediately assumed that he was talking about some kind of political freedom, some kind of freedom from, human, from bad human leaders. So when you think about personal freedom, what do you think about? Well, what they thought about is I'm going to be free is if, I'm, if I'm not controlled by a government, I'm not controlled by a church or uh, parents in a family. This idea is, is that freedom means uh, th there's no constraint in my life. I can do whatever I want. And nobody from the outside tells me what to do or how to live. It's kind of an external understanding of slavery. Well, obviously, this is a true thing that uh, we experience slavery in, in this kind of way, but, but they missed Jesus' point. They didn't realize that they were, in fact, uh, in slavery, but it wasn't to a government. It wasn't to an institution. It was to Satan. Now, I don't know if you ever think about your own personal freedoms and rights 
And that uh, what undermines that more than anything else is if we're enslaved to Satan. What a radical thought. Here's what it says in verse 44. It's just after the passage that we read. It says, uh, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. So he says, you think you're free? You're not free. Uh, and the, the way that I know that you're enslaved to the devil is because you do the devil's will. And the devil's will is what the Bible calls sin. And everyone who sins, verse 34, is a slave to sin. So uh, do you think of your enslavement to demonic powers? To be honest with you, I don't think about it very much. I tend to think that I make independent decisions, and I'm just living my life freely. And just so long as there isn't any external controls in my life, then I think I'm free. And Jesus comes along, and he's very clear. He says, absolutely not. Yes, there is a kind of freedom that is political or social, but there's a deeper freedom that I want you to experience, and it's the freedom from demonic powers. And this is what he says. If you don't hold to my teachings and follow my way, then you're following Satan. There's really only two options. Wow, that's radical. Martin Luther, the great reformer in the 1500s, this is what he says. He described our human will like a horse. And he says, our only choice is who rides us, God or Satan. Our human will is a horse, and we can only make a decision not about whether we're ridden. It's about who will ride. And there's only two options. Either Satan is control of the reins of our life, or God is. Those are the only two options that are available to us. This is what Martin Luther says. So this is something that we need to ponder and consider, don't we? What does it mean to be set free from that? Now, I want to just... Uh, go kind of off just for a minute. We'll come back to that main topic, but it feels like in this time uh, that we need to talk about an important issue, and it's this. When is a government so controlled by Satan that we must resist it? This is a topic that I think should be on all of our minds. And we have people have all kinds of answers to that question. At what point, so uh, uh, we're not controlled by governmental powers, but sometimes those governmental powers are doing the work of our spiritual enemy, Satan. And at what point do we need to resist them because they're actually doing uh, demonic work? What is, what is the line when we say enough is enough? Uh, you get to decide. I'm going to tell you what my answer is as I study Scripture. Uh, you get to decide how you understand what Scripture says about this. But here's from my understanding of Scripture what the line is. If you and I have been asked to sin. Now, uh, the line is not if the government sins. Who here can speak of a government that has never sinned or any kind of authority that has never sinned? When we look at when, uh, when Paul tells us 
in Romans that we're to obey governing authorities, he's speaking about Rome. Now, if you know anything about the Roman government, I think they've sinned a bit. And so he says to a government that blatantly sins, that opposes Christianity, obey that government. And so then we go, well, at what point do we not obey a sinful government? When they ask you to sin. They're going to sin. But when they ask you to sin, that's when you say no. If they ask you to, uh, to disobey God and to renounce your faith, they ask you to do the sins that are described in the Bible and, and, uh, and, and command that to happen, that is where we draw the line and where we practice civil disobedience. That's the best that I can understand. And I'd love to have a conversation with you if you see things differently. It'd be a stimulating conversation. So some have likened the path that we're on to lead to a Nazi Germany uh, scenario. Um, what did we do with that? Could be. Could be. I don't know. Could be. But where do you draw the line in obeying the government? Is if you're asked to kill Jews, then you don't do that. It's when we're asked to sin that we draw the line. Now, you're going to have to work out in your own heart uh, whether a government or a church or a family is asking you to sin. You have to work that out in your own heart. But as far as I can tell from Scripture, it's the line that is drawn. And uh, in the midst of having governments that don't follow Jesus, the primary thing that we're exhorted to do is to pray and to pray for God's justice and God's righteousness at that level. So just need to say that because I think it's, uh, it's relevant to the text and it's very relevant to our lives. So what then, going back to, uh, to the passage at hand, what was the crime of the Jews? By the way, these are Jews who are described as believing in him. What is their crime? They had the wrong criteria for determining who their leader was. They had the wrong criteria. They said, uh, we're free. We're not under any kind of control. Abraham, we are descendants of Abraham. That's like saying... Uh, a Christian would say, uh, I'm free. I'm a Christian. I go to church fairly regularly. I, I read my Bible. I identify with the Christian faith. That's my descendants. That's my spiritual heritage. I'm not, I'm not in bondage. And I would be insulted if you said that I was because I have the Spirit of God in me. And Satan's response to us, if we were to talk that way, is the only way that you can tell who's in charge of your life is by your behavior. Whether you're, the evidence is whether you sin or walk in love and righteousness. It's the only way that you can tell who's truly ruling your heart. So he could say, I'm a Christian. Great. Then the evidence would be that you would walk in love. And as you uh, walk in sin, 
Jesus is saying a very sobering thing to us. If you and I walk and practice sin, we have another father, the devil. So then how do we get free from demonic powers? How do we get free? Well, at the beginning of the passage, it says uh, the truth will set you free. And then it goes on to say, and this is, this. I have thought about this. You can't, I can't tell you how many hours I've been praying this through. And then it says the sun sets you free. So I was thinking the truth sets me free. The sun sets me free. How do they set me free from demonic powers? Father, I don't understand. How does Jesus set us free from Satan's rule to become, as it says here, uh, part of God's family? How does, how does Jesus do that? And I'll, I'll, say the, I'll say the phrase, and then I have to explain it, because I think, at least for me, it's hard to understand. The way, okay, so uh, we're under uh, the, the, the powers of darkness, the principalities of this world, that's Satan's domain. And in a sense, Satan is our father. How then do we experience what the Bible calls adoption, where we move from having Satan be our father to God being our father? How does that occur? How does adoption occur in the Bible? And I think it's this way, by invitation. Now, let me unpack this. Um, and I have to use my daughter Jessica and, uh, and Naomi. I have to use them as... Uh, as, as the example. So, um, so well before Naomi was my daughter, now she is. But before she was that, she was friends with Jessica in grade one. And uh, they're really, really good friends. And, and, and Jess says, hey, why don't you, uh, you know, why don't you come on over? And so we get to know Naomi. It's really wonderful. And, uh, and then she says, well, why, don't you, you know, why don't you stay overnight? Well, that's great for sure. We love Naomi. She stays, stays overnight. And then she stays overnight just a little bit more. And then she, like, doesn't go home is how, the, is how it happened. And she just kept staying overnight. And now, when I look at Naomi, I see my daughter. How did that journey happen? It happened through Jesse. That Jessica invited her into our home, and we became Naomi's parents. How do you have Jesus be your father and adopted into his family, out of the family and dominion of darkness? The son, this was the daughter story, but the, the son invites you and says, hey, I have a relationship with my dad, and I would like you to experience the relationship that I have with my dad. I'd love you to experience it. And then he draws us in relationship with Jesus. We're drawn into relationship with the Father. It's by invitation. It's how you get adopted into the family of God. Jesus calls or invites you into that relationship. So here is, the, uh, here is the contrast. How else would you get adopted aside from being chosen? Jess just chose Nay, first of all, through friendship, and now she's a sister and a daughter. We're now sons of God 
through the son, Jesus, experiencing the relationship, which is just mind-blowing, the relationship that he has with the Father, we now get to enjoy. What would be an alternative to that? Well, it would be an application form. Can you imagine? Can you imagine somebody who, uh, who wants to be part of a healthy family, they'd fill out an application form. And they would say, these are my, uh, you know, these are my successes. These are the things that I'm fairly good at. It's a grade oneer. Uh, these are the things that the, the strengths that I believe that I can add to your home if you would let me be a part of your organization. We would sell ourselves. Now, if you had to have an athlete, I mean, it's just silly to talk like that. Of course, we do it all the time. It's called getting a job. But if you were to be adopted into a family with an application form, you would never be set free from slavery because your relationship with the family would always be built on your performance. It wouldn't be built on being chosen and invited. So get this. This is a mind-blowing thought. The most important thing that can happen to you in your lifetime is to be part of the family of God. It's the, there's nothing even close that compares to the importance of that. And the only way that you'll ever get in is out of your control, and you need an invitation. You are totally at the mercy of the family to invite you in. Now, the good news, this is exactly what the son has done. But the sobering news is you can't manipulate that. You can't make that happen. You just receive the invitation. I was listening to a, uh, a lecture at Regent College this week, and it was all about mer mercy. And the lecturer was saying that, um, that uh, our society is quite concerned about justice. I think always, but especially these days. Have you heard the word justice ever mentioned in the news these days? Huge concern, rightly so. And he says, the kingdom of God uh, for sure values justice, but it supersedes justice by standing for mercy, giving people not what they deserve, but what they don't deserve and desperately need. And that's adoption into the family of God. We're a mercy-based family. Mercy has been extended to us, and we extend mercy to others. It's what the kingdom of God is built on. And here's the vulnerable thing about mercy. You can't demand it. You can demand justice. You can't demand mercy. You can't demand somebody to like you and to, and to demand, you know, Nay would say, I demand that I'm part of your family. I have my rights. I go, you know, no. <laughs> you know, we're choosing that. And that's vulnerable. But it's what adoption is like. Here's what I think about us. I think about this as, as myself. My father died when I was a teenager. He was sick for the previous decade before that. I don't remember having a father. Uh, one that uh, fathered me. I remember having a physical father. I, don't, I never felt fathered by him. And I think the truth at varying degrees for all of us, is we're all broken people hoping to belong. Don't you feel like that? We're just broken people hoping to belong somewhere. 
and that somebody would choose us, not based on our worthiness, but based on their mercy and love and kindness towards us. I'm 60 years old, and I still long for that. I long to have those kinds, what we call in our church, we call them mercy-based relationships. I long for that. But here's the problem. If we try to prove our worthiness, or we try to fight for our rights, we will never experience the freedom of mercy. Just so long as we're fighting for our rights, you misunderstand me. Deep down, I really am a good person, and you should accept me and love me and give me what I need. And so we have a society that's been burnt by authority figures. And so we try to come close, but we're kind of prickly. And so we come close demanding justice when what our hearts really long for is mercy, to be loved and accepted and embraced. Not because we're worthy, but the opposite of that. We know that we weren't worthy, and we were still invited in. That is an incredible experience. And it's the experience that we receive as we become children of God. What is the evidence of being adopted? Well, if the evidence of being under Satan's rule is sin, which is basically, basically by the way, survival, I had to steal from you because I have needs. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm trying to survive. Listen to people describe their sin, and it will sound like survival. How do you get set free from that? What, sorry, what is the evidence that you've been set free from that? Matthew 10, 8. And here's the word freedom. Freely you have received, freely give. That is freedom. If you are fighting for freedom, can I exhort you to fight to freely receive and to fight to freely give? Can that be our motivation and our fight for freedom? Not for personal rights, but for the freedom to receive a gift of love, and the freedom to love others generously beyond what they deserve. Can this be what we fight for as the church? Now, here's where it gets very interesting, and this is where the two phrases in this passage come together. It says, um, uh, the truth will set you free, and then the sun will set you free. How does the truth and the sun combine? And this, to me, is tremendously exciting. Jesus teaches us the freedom of sonship. He teaches us how to be a son instead of a slave. So, uh, nay, I'm just I'm going to make this up because I'm not interested in exposing anybody. So I'm going to make up scenarios, all right? But the point will be made. Nay comes into our family through through Jessica, the daughter. She comes into the family, all right? Now, Nay didn't grow up in our family. So the family that she's from had a different experience of what love and relationship look like. And so maybe, making it up, she just knows that in order to be loved, you have to manipulate it. And then Jess comes along and says, you know what? In this family... They just give us stuff all the time. <laughs> you don't have to manipulate. It's all good. They're just going to give you stuff. Just a heads up. 
Jesse is teaching Naomi how to be a daughter instead of a slave. And then they does something wrong. She's ashamed. And so in our old family, when you do something wrong, you hide or run. That's what you do, because you're not stupid. You don't want to hang around for a beating. And so you run. And then Jess comes along and says, I do wrong things all the time in this family. And they're going to forgive you. It's going to be okay. You don't have to run. I know that you're used to running. But I want to teach you. Let me teach you how to be a daughter in this family. And in this family, you just don't have to run. Yeah, you feel ashamed, but don't let your shame drive you into hiding. Let your parents help you. Let, let our parents help you with your shame. And so you have the son or daughter helping the adopted son or daughter figure out how to live as a son or daughter. And don't you dare think that's an easy transition. It is super hard. To this day, I struggle believing that I'm forgiven. To this day, it is too remarkable for me. I'm not used to being forgiven. I'm used to being judged. This is what I'm used to. And then the son comes to me and says, I've taken care of that. You don't have to relate to the father on the basis of your guilt. I've taken care of that. I made a way for you to be reconciled with the Father. It's all good. I'll show you how to relate to him. I've been doing it forever. <laughs> and I'll show you how to relate. It's way different. You're going to love it. What if the truth that sets us free is the truth of sonship? And that what Scripture is teaching us is not a list of rules. It's a way of relating to a heavenly father who loves us without measure. And we needed his son to come to earth to provide a way for us to experience the relationship that he has with the father. And the way that, ex that experience begins is with an invitation from the son, come into my family. I know how it works. And I'm going to teach you a new way of living. This relationship with the Son frees us from fear. We've had um, dozens of people live with us. It's quite a number. I don't know how many, but it's a good number. And we watch the metamorphosis of someone moving from a relationship of fear with us to a relationship of love and acceptance and embrace. Some never make the journey. It's too risky for them. There's too much fear. And as a parent, you're an authority figure, and that's just dangerous. I don't make that journey. And but when you watch people make the journey out of fear and into trust, it's holy. It's so beautiful. You can't control it. 
All you can do as a, as a parent is stay vulnerable with them and be a safe place for them. Frees us from sin. You don't have to look out for yourself anymore. I'll take care of that. We got you. You don't have to steal anymore. You don't have to gossip to make yourself look greater. We accepted you uh, before you were great. So your relationship with us has nothing to do with how good you are. It never even entered our head. I have never thought about my biological children. They're just, it has nothing to do with their performance. And so our biological children have to teach our other children how it is to relate like that. Like it's just not about your performance. Nobody's ever thinking about your performance, whether you're in or out. Never crosses my mind. I never think, was Naomi good today? I, it doesn't even enter my head. She's my daughter. And she has been invited into our family on the basis of our decision to receive her fully, not partially, fully. Doesn't have to sin. Shame. Given a brand new way to process shame. Now, don't get me wrong. When people sin, you should be ashamed. But you have a brand new way to process that. So that even shame isn't your enemy. Shame actually would draw you into righteousness instead of into hiding. You don't have to manipulate. My final one, you don't have to fight for your rights. Okay, let me tell you something that you, you don't know unless you're a foster parent. Um, the social worker comes to your house and they sit down with you and the, I hate even using the word foster child. It just feels like such a, an affront to what's really going on. But it's just for a way to explain, all right? I don't mean it in my heart. But they sit down with the parent and the foster child and they have a manual and it's, it's, it's about that thick. And on the front of the manual, it says, your rights and freedoms. That's what it says. And what they do is they sit down with the child while you're watching, and they say, um, we want you to know that you have rights as a foster child in this home. And they go through, with, they say, we can't go through them all because there's a whole whack of rights. But we, we'll, we'll go through the highlights. And they go through and they highlight the different things that you have the right to have. You have the right to be safe. You have the right to food. You have the right to an education. You have the right to be respected. You know, on and on it goes. And in my heart, I'm thinking, I'm going to give you my life, not my food. I mean, the food is the least. Like, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to be your father. And you're trying to understand what your rights are? And I know, I know that, that foster children have had horrible foster parents that have abused it. I know that you have to do that. I get it. It's a fallen world. And I understand that everybody's trying their best. But in my heart, I'm thinking this has nothing to do with what's going on. I've received you as my son and daughter. Rights. I'd do anything for you. You belong here. The son has to explain to us 
how that works with the Father because our flesh doesn't get it. We've been so, we've been lived for so long under the authority of Satan that we just don't get how the freedom of love works. And so we need the Son to, yes, die for our sins, but to teach us about how love will set us free. Have we ever experienced that level of freedom? I mean, I just long for that level of freedom. I look at my own heart. I'm so full of suspicion and defensiveness and, and self-righteousness and, and making sure that, that I'm, I'm, I'm going to be protected. And, and the Son says to us, all that I have is yours. The most precious thing in my life is my relationship with my Father. It's yours too. It's all yours. I give it all to you. I'm holding nothing back from you. Would you please hold nothing back from me and understand what sonship, being a daughter, really is about? Then you will be set free. No longer having to be your own defender, figuring out how you will be defended. Nay doesn't have to go to school on her own. She gets to sit with her parents who are going to sit with the teacher and work through whatever's going. She's not alone. She gets to be defended. She gets to be cared for and watched over poorly. <laughs> but we're trying. But we have a heavenly father who loves us perfectly and a son who is righteousness. And he says, can I teach you the way of love, the way of sonship? Don't be a slave. Don't find comfort in being a slave. So let me ask you, where are you in bondage? Where, where do you sin? Where are you full of mistrust and pride? Gossip. Lewdness. Where are you, where are you in bondage? The freedom that Jesus offers is he will teach you and I how to be sons in those places instead of slaves. This will be our freedom. Do you feel enslaved to pornography? Do you feel enslaved to people-pleasing? Do you feel enslaved to your appetites, to your insecurities? How do you get free from feeling enslaved. It's not through a series of techniques that restore your self-esteem. It's through knowing that in that bondage in slavery, the Father has come through the Son to sit with you there and to work it through with you there. Not, I wonder when he's going to get it. That he comes close and he says, look, you're a slave. I want to teach you how to be a son so that you're no longer in bondage. 
I'm trying to set you free. But it's not freedom through self-control. It's freedom through trusting in, in, in my Father that we're good towards you. And you don't need to do those things anymore. I want to set you free. It's a relational freedom. This is the gospel. Can you see how it's going to take us a while and we have to hold to his teachings because it's going to take us a while to figure this out because it's a brand new way of thinking. Jesus teaches us how to live as Matthew 10, 8 sons. Freely you have received, freely give. Now you're free. This is why we read our Bibles, is to listen to the Son describe what relationship looks like. And we need to steep ourselves in it, soak in it, bathe, saturate ourselves so that we can be adopted. And Sorry, not so that we can be adopted, so that we can receive the adoption that has been freely offered us. It's, it's shocking, but it's not easy to receive freedom. But the Father comes to bring mercy. Worship team. Father, I thank you for sending your Son into our world to be a mediator, to be a bridge, to be an example, to be the inviter who would come, has come, and will come to each one of us here today and say, hey, I got this amazing relationship with my father. Would you like to come meet him with me? It would be my joy. Would you like to meet my dad? And I'll help you know how to relate to him. Don't worry, we got time. But would you say yes to the invitation? I know where you're enslaved. I know where you're in bondage. But your way out isn't through control. Your way out is through trusting my dad, through my work, to set you free. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. And with abandonment, we open our hearts to being free in Jesus Christ. Amen.